God always provides, doesn't He? Yeah, it's right when we think that that there's no hope, there's no chance, there's no no way for us to do anything. God steps in, and yet He does that in our life all the time. He He does things, and I know some of you've heard me say this a lot, but you're going to keep hearing it because I'd like to brag on what God does. It was just a few months back that our youngest daughter was going to go on hospice because they'd given up on her and said that she wasn't going to make it and that was our only hope. They were talking, we got to go hospice. Yeah. Now she's cancer free. God. <laughs> only God can do these things. Yes. It's when we give up, it's when we come to the end of our rope that we find we're on His rope. <clears throat> we know we're, we've been working on this series, this is the third sermon in this series, on the return of Christ. And and uh, you know the first uh, the first sermon we had was talking about that that we are chosen by God. I mean that ought to make us feel special. We were chosen by God. I use the example of the door, and on one side of the door it says, "Whosoever may enter." And once we've accepted that, and we go through, we look on the other side of the door, and it says, "Chosen by God." Yes. See, God chose us all. The Scripture says that whosoever. That means everyone. That doesn't mean just these people or those people. Whosoever is everyone. And God put His invitation out. He put, he put His Son on a cross to die for us. And He says, now whosoever shall believe in this will have eternal life. You don't get a better offer. I don't care where you work. I don't care what kind of retirement plan it offers. It doesn't matter. I don't care how big your paycheck is. It doesn't even come close to that offer. Then last week, we learned that not only are we a chosen people, but we're just messengers. Yes. See, once we've accepted the gospel in our lives, once we've accepted Jesus Christ, once we've allowed Him to come in, then suddenly we've got a job. Yeah. We need to go show other people how much God loves yes. We need to go use our lives as an example and say, Hey, you remember me? I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new person because Jesus Christ is in my heart. We're now messengers to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just by word, but by, by our lives. Because if your lives haven't changed, you don't have what, what God's given. So it's kind of one of those things that, you know, it's... it's I talk... Now, I'm, I'm a... I was raised in the country, and I, I've eaten things that some people just turn their nose up at. Because <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa didn't believe in wasting anything on an animal. That's right. So, uh, and, uh, but there was one thing I was never able to eat. I just couldn't bring myself to eat. It's a beet. They just look oh, nasty to me. <laughs> well, for years, I never touched one. And I would tell people, how can you eat those nasty things? I'd look at them. They're, they're disgusting. So if you were eating one, no, yeah. I'm not going to eat that thing. <laughs> yeah. When we were in Alaska, went to a restaurant and they serve a relish tray and there's beets on it. Well, they, they got me to eat one. And I took a bite and I said, hey, that's not too bad. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, it's the people who talk worse about the church and the worst about Jesus and God. Are people who's never tried it? That's right. That's right. Amen. That's 
Maybe they came to church. Maybe they got into religion, but they never got into Jesus. See, there's a difference. You know, religion is something man came up with. Jesus Christ is a gift from God. Jesus will change your life. Jesus will make you a different person. Religion will probably get you to turn your nose up and say, I'm not doing that. That's nasty. Just like I used to talk about beets. But Jesus says, hey, you take a bite of this. <laughs> he even says, if you drink from this water, you'll never thirst again. So there's a big difference in trying it and, and seeing what it's really like to know God and just going to church and hanging out in the pew and, and figuring, well, I went to church, I didn't like it. You got to know the difference. Well, this morning, what we're going to look at this morning in our series is now is, is now that we know that we're chosen people and we have a message from God, how are we supposed to treat each other? How are we supposed to live together? Yeah, I love the words that Jesus says in one spot in 1 John. He says, he says hey, the world will know, and I'm paraphrasing this, the world will know that you belong to me if you love one another. Yeah? It, doesn't, it doesn't say the world will know your mind if you beat people over the head with your Bible and tell them they got to believe. It doesn't say that. It, it doesn't say the world will know your mind if you walk around and just tell everybody all the time I'm a Christian. It doesn't say that. It says they'll know your mind if you love one another. See, I love that... that that because love is one of those things that you can't, you can't hold it up and brag about it and say, oh, look at this love. Love is something you have to show. Love is something you have to live. Love is something that comes from in here. So we're going to look at that today. I'm going to, start, I'm going to read this letter. This is a real letter written by a real soldier that was in Baghdad during the Iraqi war. Okay, so this is not something someone made up. Real thing. It was written to his mother. Uh, her name is Susan Cook. She is a member of the Sunridge Baptist Church in Sebring, Florida. So I'm giving you this so you can go verify it and make sure. Pastor just didn't make something up here. This is real. Her 21-year-old son, Dustin, is an army specialist that was in Baghdad during the Iraqi war. His unit was at the palace in Baghdad. He writes his letter to his mom. Dear mom, <clears throat> just want to let you know I'm still okay. <clears throat> want to tell you this cool story though. Two nights ago, I had gone to bed late. I couldn't sleep as usual. Then about midnight, I heard two loud booms that sounded like they were just two feet away from me. And about five, after about five minutes of silence, we got up off the floor and went back to bed. So you can tell he's a soldier right there. Yeah. Most of us, we have two loud booms. We'll be going back to bed, right? We'll be going out and see what happened. <clears throat> Come to find out, we had two rocket-propelled grenades fired at our building from across the river. The chaplain had gone up on the roof to see the guards up there, and they will vouch for this story as well. He said he saw two men fire the RPGs almost simultaneously. And those small exploding heads were on their way, not turning back. 
Now, what's the one thing that every chaplain carries with them? A Bible. The chaplain said he heard a loud voice yell, Stop them! He said he didn't know, didn't know why, but he held up the hand with the Bible in it, and he just said, Please. Now, what happened next will blow your mind. The chaplain said he watched the RPGs almost instantly do a 90-degree turn away from the building and landed in a field a couple of hundred feet away. Mom, I think there's a second force here in this palace, even stronger than we are. Our guardian angels have taken up post all around our perimeter. I know it, it's been because of everyone's prayers back home. And I have 100% faith that I'll come home soon. Well, just thought I'd share that with you. I just want to say thanks, Mom. Thanks for always having faith. Thanks for all your prayers. Thank you for never giving up. And most of all, thanks for being a wonderful mom. Love, Dustin. That's a real letter. Can you imagine? Two RPGs. If you're not familiar with them, they're just rocket-propelled grenades. And they're Class A explosives. Things they make big bangs and do a lot of damage. Coming straight for you. They don't have fins or wings. They can't turn. But God turned them 90 degrees. Now, that's pretty much, take away the supernatural stuff there, that's pretty much a typical letter from a soldier. I wrote a lot of them that way when I was over there. And believe it or not, there's a group in the United States, it's called Project Legacy, and what they do is they record history based on letters written by soldiers back home. They have over 75,000 letters covering wars all the way back to World War I, of letters written back home. I was surprised there was a group like that. I'd never heard of it before. But it's this little piece of American history. Now, <clears throat> they study these letters and they said that the most, uh, uh, the most common theme in a letter written by a soldier is, I'm okay, don't worry. Now, if you're the, per the family back home, that's the first word you want to hear, right? Is that your loved one's okay. Don't worry. And the most common phrase used in a letter is, I love you. Now, in a way, this letter that Paul's writing is exactly with that letter. Because what he wants the people to know is that I'm okay. Don't worry about me. And I love you. So we're going to look at that a little bit today. And we're in 1 Thessalonians. If you uh, would like into this morning, what we're going to look at is in uh, chapter <clears throat> 2, verses 17 through uh, chapter 3, verse 5. It's only about six verses there. It won't take too long. But it, it's so important on what Paul says. Now, the first thing we should look at here is, is when we write a letter like this, not only do we want to express our feelings towards the person that we're writing to, 
but it also sets, uh, in Paul's letter here, it sets a standard by which we should be treating each other. Okay, first thing you're going to look at is that the first thing we should do is we should love one another. Verse 17 says, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. When you're away from your loved ones, isn't that you want to go home, right? You want to see them. You want to, uh, you want to hold them. You want to tell them you love them. That's, so that's what Paul is doing here. He's letting them know. Now, uh, D.L. Moody, and in the back of your bulletins, I put this story on there. So I thought it was so cute and so authentic. It's real. He says, show me a church where there is love, and I'll show you a church that is powerful in the community. It says, to illustrate his story, he tells, us, uh, he, he tells this story, and uh, I'm not just going to read it, I'm just going to tell it. There was a little boy who went to a Sunday school class in one part of Chicago, and his, his parents moved to the other side of town, uh, but the boy kept going back to that Sunday school class. Even though it meant he had a long walk there and back every day, he kept going. Well, one of his friends asked him one day, he said, Hey, why do you keep going back to that Sunday school class? There's a whole lot of others in between here and there that's just as good. The boy says, Well, they may be just as good for some, but not for me. His friend says, Why? He says, Because they love a fellow over there. Now, Moody concludes his story with, If... if if only we in the church could make the world believe that we really love them, there'd be fewer empty churches. Makes sense to me. If we were to let love replace duty in the church, we'd find the world get evangelized pretty quick. And in 1 John 3.18... The way John puts this is let us not love in words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know, the word love is probably the most overused word in the English language. We love everything, you know, from dogs and cats to hamburgers and pizza to our family. We love it all, right? Yeah. Words are cheap. Words don't mean a thing. Our actions. Our actions. You can't love by telling someone you love them. You have to love them by showing them you love them. You folks that are married, your marriage wouldn't have lasted very long if, if you never showed each other how much you loved. It's just a couple times a day, say, oh, I love you, and, and go on. There's got to be some showing there. There's got to be some affection there. There's got to be some, there's got to be some, some uh, uh, coming together in heart there. The same thing happens with us in the church. We've got to show each other we love each other. See, loving someone is not always easy. Loving it gets, gets kind of difficult because loving means that we have to sacrifice. Loving means that we have to, to take what little precious time we have and we got to share it. I used to, to kid my pastor all the time when I was younger. 
about must be nice to have a job. You only work three hours a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now that I, I'm on the other side of that coin, I was thinking when I used to work sixty to seventy hour weeks, I had more time than I have now. I'm not saying I worked that many hours a week. Just seems I had more time then. You know, it used to was from five in the morning to about ten at night was work, and then you had free time. Now, you never know when that phone rings. You never know when you're heading off to Amarillo in the middle of the night. We got to take what little God's given us and we have to share it with others if we love them. Now, the second thing we need to do to how we treat each other is that we have to learn to live with one another. That's hard. Do you know that, that 80% of divorces occurred in the first five years? Yes. You know why? Because that's the time where you're learning to live with someone. Exactly. <laughs> that's that time period where, where you're learning that it's not all about me anymore. <laughs> I, I've got to, to work my schedule out with the other half here. And it's not that easy. If you've never lived with someone other than your parents, but you've never lived with someone as a, as a, a spouse or, or a, a partner in life, you don't understand these things. But once you do, it's hard. But what you, normally, if a marriage makes it past that five-year mark, they've got a good chance of going the distance. <clears throat> we have to learn to live with one another. Verse 18 says, We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. See, Paul wanted very much to go back to this church. He, he wanted so much because but, but he had started this church. It was him preaching out on, a, on the corner that got people to come that started off in a house church that then grew into a larger group that was meeting and they were giving their lives for Jesus Christ and they were being persecuted because they loved Jesus. Paul loved this church and he wanted so much to get back there. There was a, a, a young woman who wanted very much to uh, get from <clears throat> Alberta, Canada to uh, Whitehorse in the Yukon. Hey, have you been on that drive? Most people who make that drive go in a four-wheel drive vehicle. This lady was in an old Honda Civic. She stopped at a truck stop just before the, the pass going in. And, and when she went in, there was a couple of truckers there having, a, having a lunch, and, and they asked her to sit at their table. And since it was a real small place, there were only three people there, she sat down and ate with them. And they asked her, said, well, where are you heading? I'm heading to Whitehorse. They said, in that? She said, well, yeah. They said, they said That's, you're not going to make it. She said, sure I will. The trucker said, well, if you're determined to make that drive, then we're going to have to hug you. Well, the woman pushed back and said, oh, you're not, you're not touching me. 
They said, no, that's not what we mean. One of us will go ahead of you, and one of us will be behind you. So you'll know that, that you've got safety there. And so they, they made the drive, and, and the fog was thick that morning. And, and as they were going, she followed these two little red lights on the trailer in front of her. But with the security of knowing there was another truck behind her, just in case something happened. See, we as Christians, on this foggy walk that we have, we need to be hugged. We need to have Christians that, that go on ahead of us and lead the way. And we need to have others behind us to give us encouragement. Now, which leads us into the next one, which is to encourage one another. We should encourage one another. Have you ever been in a situation where you just needed someone to give you a word of encouragement? A little push, a little, a little tug, something to just keep you going. <clears throat> we need to encourage one another. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. This is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith. See, Paul's concern was that, that him, what the troubles he was going through, the fact that, that he, was, he was locked up, he was afraid that, was, that the church was going to turn away from God because, hey, if, if Paul's going through all this, then why do we want to keep doing this? He was concerned about them. So he wanted them to know by sending Timothy and by sending this letter, not only are you okay as a church, but is your faith getting stronger? Are you growing? You see those hard times that we go through? Those are times that our faith is being, being solidified. Because we all go through hard times. Anyone in here, if you stand up and say, I've never had a hard time in my life, I'm going to have to call you a liar right in front of everybody. Because we've all been through hard times. And, and so since we know we're all going to face hard times, isn't it better to know that we're doing it because God is solidifying our faith? That no matter how hard things are going in our life, we know if we stay focused on Him, we're going to get through it and we're going to be more mature and better for it at the end. Well, I, say, I don't know, to me that makes it a little easier to go through a hard time. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's when we go through hard times and we're not sure why that it's hard to get through them. But when you know why you're going through it, what's going on. Um, <clears throat> in the, uh, his book, Another Chance by Dean Merrill, there was a man that, uh, that had an office job and all, he got laid off and he's... Uh, and also, he had to go out and get another job to support his family. Well, he went out and he got a job as a carrier. And what that means is he, he had a wheelbarrow, and he ran a wheelbarrow upstairs for people with mortar and bricks in it. And also, not an easy job. And, and, being, and he had never done this work before, so naturally he did a lot of, of uh, misfortunate things that got everyone you know, talking about him. 
You know, hey, when you do something foolish, nobody ever seems to forget the foolish thing you did. And so they're, they're talking about him. And plus, where he worked, the language was terrible. I mean, it was, uh, it was so bad and, and all. And, and after he'd been there for three weeks, he had finally just got to the point where he said, at lunchtime today, I'm quitting. I can't handle this anymore. Well, just before noon, the, the foreman came by and handed out paychecks. And he gave him his paycheck. And he said, hey, you know, the, the lady in payroll says she knows you. He says, what's her name? The foreman told him and ended up the lady was one that she worked in the nursery at the church he went to. And she knew him through the church and all. So anyway, the guy, the foreman went on about his wrath. The guy took his check and opened the envelope up and there's a note attached to his check from this lady. And she says, when one member of the body is suffering, the whole body suffers. We're praying for you. And and he, he just sat there and stared at that note in amazement at God's timing. Because here it is right when he's decided, I'm leaving. I can't handle it anymore. He gets this note of encouragement that, that helps him to continue on with that job. You know, we, we got to remember that we all need encouragement at some time. I don't care how strong of a Christian you are or how new you are. A word of encouragement always helps. Amen. When we're going through a difficult time, there's nothing more encouraging than someone just come up, put their hand on your shoulder and say, I'm praying for you. Amen. And we all think when people say, if there's anything I can do for you, just call. We think it's just people talking. But I tell you what, in the church, that means call. Yes. Yeah. When people in church say, I'm praying for you, that doesn't mean, well, I said the words, I'm done now. That means I'm going home and get on my knees. I'm lifting you up. We need to encourage one another. And along those lines, on encouraging, we need to strengthen one another. In verses 2 through 5, it says, We sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We send him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you about the troubles that would soon come. And they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Have you ever worked with someone and helped them overcome something just to watch them fall back in that same hole again? And it just breaks your heart, doesn't it? You know, we work a lot with uh, addiction counseling. And it, it really hurts deeply when someone we've worked with and we've watched grow and, and get out of that hole, fall back in. Makes you want to wonder, what could we have done different? 
what could we have said different? You know, we all have a tendency of blaming ourselves when something we're doing doesn't work. Well, let me tell you about this lady. Some of you may recognize her name, Jean Nidek. She was a 214-pound desperate housewife. She wanted to lose weight so bad. She went down to the New York Library, and she got a, 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 a diet that was uh, devised by Dr. Norman Joliffe. Two months into the diet, she still needed to lose another 50 pounds. But she was discouraged. So she called some of her overweight friends over and shared the diet with them, and they started talking about ways they could encourage one another to stick to it. Well, 30-plus years later, over a million members, this little thing called Weight Watchers, has helped so many people lose weight by using words of encouragement. Because if you've never been on a diet, I tell you, the first few days, you're going ho right? About a week into it, you're ready to throw that book out the window and go buy a bucket of ice cream or something. <laughs> but if you got someone there to hold your hand, someone to give you some words of encouragement, say, I can do it, you can do it, then you can get through it. Those words of encouragement. We've got to strengthen one another. We've got to, we've got to look at <clears throat> sometimes it's just a matter of what would I want to hear if I was in that situation? What would I need to get me going if I was at a, at a point of wanting to give up? And believe it or not, those very words you come up with for yourself will probably help whoever you're trying to help. To strengthen one another, to be there. To give us a, a push in faith. When they ask, uh, when they ask uh, this lady, uh, why, why did you think to do this? She told a story about when she was a, a young girl a teenager, she used to walk home through a park and, and she'd go through this park and, and all these little kids would be over on the swing just sitting there and their mothers and, and all would be over here on the benches and they'd be over there gossiping or whatever. And she said, so she'd walk by and she'd give the kids a push. What happens when you give the kid a push on a swing? Next thing you know, them legs are going and boom, they're getting higher and higher and they're having fun. So she said that that, that, that was her role in life was just to give people a push. That's our role in life as Christians. Give each other a push every now and then. A little helping hand to get started. You know, if you want, you're starting to, to maybe uh, uh, set up a prayer room at your house, and but you just can't seem to ever find the time to go into it and pray. Maybe you need to find someone to give you a little encouragement. Someone to come over and pray with you. Maybe you want to start a devotional uh, just for you. You just want to do a devotional every day, but you, it seems like you always you tend to forget it half the time. Maybe you need someone to call you every morning and say, hey, did you read your devotional this morning? See, it's little things like that that get us going and help us out. Because as we encourage one another, not only do we build faith up in one another, we build our faith up. Now, and I love Jean Nidek, she needed to lose 50 pounds. 
And she ended up helping millions of people. Paul writes, I have not yet been perfected, but... And his concern isn't with him, but to help out those others. The last thing is to pray for one another. And sometimes we take that for granted, don't we? Sometimes we take prayer for granted. You know the, that new movie that's out, War Room? Have you guys been looking at the reviews on that? It's number two in the box office. It's a low-budget Christian film about prayer. Number two in the box office. <laughs> low-budget Christian movie on prayer is changing people's lives in the theater. I think I was reading a, a scene I did this morning on Facebook on a, one of the morning talk shows, whichever one it is on CBS. I can't remember the names of them. I don't watch them normally, but... There it is on a nationwide morning news show is talking about this movie and not an interview with the producers like there, but they're talking about this movie is how it is changing people's lives right in the theater. Even the, the, the people there talking about it, the woman that was given the, uh, the report on it, she was just like amazed at it. And, and how, and then these other newscasters that they said, well, I've never heard of it before, don't know anything about it. And all, but before the, the interview was over, before they were through with the program, every one of them said, we're going to go see that movie. Yeah. You see, the nation is desperate for God. Yes. And it's a movie like that, that if it can get you on your knees before God, it will get you introduced to God. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have a good long-standing relationship with God to get on your knees and say, hey God, it's me. There's no right way to pray, folks. You get up, you pray, you talk to God. You can talk to Him however as formal or as informal as you want. You can yell at Him. You can ask Him why this happened. He's a big God. He doesn't care if you question Him. He'll answer you. Some people are so afraid to talk to God about, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, I'll start off by saying, hey, God, it's me, it's Rick. Hadn't talked to you in a while, God. Is that easy? We have to pray for one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. We should be praying for one another. We have a prayer list attached to our bulletin. How many of you take that home and pray for it name by name? It doesn't matter that you know what they're on there for. They're on there. You don't have to know if someone has got cancer or if someone has got the flu to pray for healing. Pray for people. We all know people who are lost out there who don't know Jesus. It's not hard to pray for them. Lord God, let them see the light today, Lord, that see your glory. It's not hard, folks. Prayer is so easy. Prayer is the most powerful tool that God has given us. Yes. And we leave it in the quiver all the time. It's a last resort for most of us. God, I've tried everything I can think of. I've got to turn to you now like he's the last resort. Should be the first one you go to. Amen. That's right. Amen. 
If you're saving him for last, then you're, you're missing out on a lot of stuff. We've got to pray for one another. Prayer makes a difference in people's lives. The letter we started out with today. Wasn't even a big prayer, was it? Stop them, please. And two RPGs do 90 degree turns and go away. Some people think, oh, it's just a story. I know lots of stories like that from the battlefield. God is there. God intervenes. When God wakes you up in the middle of the night to start praying for someone, you need to get up and start praying because someone needs that prayer right then. Right. If he could have waited till morning, God would have waited till morning to get you out of bed to pray for him. Yes. We should pray for one another. And we should let each other know we're praying for them. We should let them know. You should know. If I'm praying for you, I should say, I'd be able to say, Linda, I'm praying for you, sister. It's not hard to say. It's not hard to do. Now, in, as we get ready to close here, I, I want to make, we're, we're having communion this morning. It's not ready to run off or anything. But um, I got a question for you. Simple question. If we as Christians, if we cannot love one another, if we cannot care for one another, if we cannot pray for one another, then who can we do these things for? Pretty simple question. Let's all stand. Hey, the altar is open. If anyone wants to come pray at the altar, it's fine. The altar is always open. Lord God, let your, your healing spirit be on each of us this morning. Oh Lord, open our eyes this morning. Help us to see you this morning, Lord. Help us to see those in need around us this morning, Lord God. Put it on our hearts, Lord, Lord, to, to love them, Lord. To reach out and encourage them, Father God. Lord, to get on our knees and pray for them, Lord. Oh, Father, help us to glorify you. Strengthen us, Lord God. Lord, that all that you give us, we can let flow out of us to those around us. Lord, we don't ask for your love and your grace and your blessings, Lord, so that we can hold on to it. Lord, we ask for it so that we can let it flow from us. That you, Lord, can bless those around us. Oh, Father, help us, Lord, to encourage one another, to love one another. And Lord God, help us to pray for one another. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.